You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. And today we listen to a conversation between Bonnie Lathram from Getting Smart and David Ross, who's the new CEO of Partnership for 21st Century Learning in Washington, D.C. Bonnie chatted with David about the new initiatives that they are leading at P21 and the importance of global competence, project-based learning, and why right now is the golden time to promote 21st century learning. Hi, my name is David Ross. I'm Chief Strategy Officer for the Partnership for 21st Century Learning in Washington, D.C. Thanks, Dave. So tell us a little bit about um, Partnership for 21st Century Learning and, and some of your latest initiatives. We know you've been there for about six months, so it would be great to hear what you're up to there. The Partnership for 21st Century Learning is a 14-year-old nonprofit. We're based in Washington, D.C. We were started in 2002 out of interest from the corporate community who wanted to look at the U.S. educational system and see if we were producing graduates who have the skills to be successful in what we call college, career, and life. So that has been our mission for the last 14 years. We focus primarily on the U.S. domestic market, But of late, we, like everybody else, has a newfound interest in global education, and that is in part the reason that P21 hired me. So we've got a couple of good initiatives going on now. One of them is we're taking a look at global workforce readiness from two different perspectives. One is what does it mean for schools, be they high schools, middle schools, or colleges, to produce graduates who have the requisite skills and attitudes and mindsets to make them successful at college, career, and life. And the other one is to look at the international scope of global education and work with other countries. So we are in the process at P21 of forming a partnership with several high-tech companies in China, all based in Beijing, a Beijing Normal University and the Ministry of Education, to think about cloning P21 in China and In short order, directly after that, we've got inquiries from the Czech Republic and from the Philippines. So this could be a model going forward. We've partnered with some U.S. states, uh, 20 of them, in fact, to create a state framework. So now we have to explore the concept of taking our framework globally. Oh, that's super interesting. Thanks for that. So um, as you may have seen today, I just published a post about the world of work, and um, we're obviously preparing students for a new economy and a work world that's constantly changing, and we've been writing a lot about this at Getting Smart, for example, artificial intelligence and how that's going to reshape much of life on Earth, and this is something that our CEO, Tom Vander Ark, and his words has really, like, gone off the deep end and writing and thinking about, and if people are interested, they can check out the hashtag AskAboutAI. So we know that young people need to experience novelty and complexity and be adaptable in the face of change. And so what is the role of school in helping students prepare for situations that are novel, complex, and adaptive? Well, you know, that's been uppermost in my mind, in part as that's key to my profession, but also the fact that I'm the father of a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old. The 17-year-old is doing his college applications at the moment. So I think about what is what is school going to look like for him when he's in college and what is career going to look like for him. So I do a lot of reading about AI and machine learning. And some of the things that I've been fascinated by are, for instance, MIT has done some work around partnering humans with their AI. They had a piece, I think it was in the spring of this year, in which they showed that the partnership between a human and AI was far more successful at finding finding and preventing cyber attacks than it was just a human working by themselves or the AI working by themselves. 
And I've seen some pieces related to this concept of everybody knows that humans can't beat chess playing programs anymore or now even Go playing programs anymore. But there's been some writing around the idea that humans in partnership with AI are more successful than just the AI playing chess or Jeopardy or Go. So that got me thinking about what what does that mean for school and how do we get that kind of uh, partnership, a machine-human partnership into school. And I think the key is to what um, Getting Smart focuses on and what the Buck Institute focuses on is project-based learning. We have to create educational experiences that show students how to leverage the tools, all the tools at their disposal, to be more successful in challenges, projects that are rigorous and relevant. Thanks. And so you alluded to earlier this sort of connection between um, the schools and businesses. So how can businesses and corporations support 21st century skill development? You know, there's. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the initiatives that is soon to launch that we're going to partner with, as I said, we are in Washington, D.C., and I meet at least once a month with the U.S. Department of Education. And both the Department of Ed and the Department of State are interested in this very same topic. And so one of the initiatives we hope to move forward this fall, even though it is election time, is this concept of a Global Ready Pledge. And there's been a Future Ready Pledge in which school districts promise to integrate technology and develop technical literacy for their students. Well, that's really in the K-12 sector. And what we envision in partnership with the government is this idea of a Global Ready Pledge that would be committed to by very large corporations who basically say something to the effect that we, the undersigned company, value global awareness, linguistic competence, uh, global competence as a primary skill for 21st century employment and that we promise to develop our employees with these skills and to preference hiring these type of employees. So I think if that initiative is successful, that's really going to endorse this idea of a project-based world, but also a globally competent world. And schools are going to turn in that direction and start promoting global competence as a feature of instruction. Oh, that's super interesting. Thanks for telling us a bit more about the Global Ready Pledge. It's great. And then, you know, related to that, we've been writing a lot at Getting Smart about the importance of non-cognitive skill development and social-emotional learning. We regularly talk with the folks from CASEL, as well as there's a new um, commission that I'm sure you've heard about that is focused on um, social, emotional, and academic learning. So what's your take on the best way that we can cultivate these important skills? And, you know, sort of a related question, does the curriculum come first or does social-emotional come learning come first or both? And, and what do you see that's working in this, in this field? You know, I, I, I think it's an interesting time for socio-emotional learning. And to, for the listener's sake, is I'm holding my hand up in the shape of a triangle. And what P21 tries to do is sit at the nexus of three points of a triangle. One of those is the, the business sector. We're funded primarily by nonprofits and for-profits who care about modern instruction. We partner with the federal government and 20 state governments on policy. And the third place pace is a network of 75 exemplar schools. In terms of the policy, I think we're at a golden moment because the passage of the new ESSA law, Every Student Succeeds Acts, specifically calls out whole child education and calls out socio-emotional learning. So I don't ever think there's been, in my 27 years in education, a better policy opportunity for socio-emotional learning. And I also think that there's never been a pedagogical point in time where project-based learning has been so valued. And so 
between the policy pointing us in the right direction, between the knowledge of project-based learning growing on a daily basis, pointing teachers pedagogically in the right direction, I think it's a golden opportunity. But I think the piece we are missing and the piece we need to focus on, and I've learned this both working in the United States and 14 countries, is that you have to create a school and classroom culture that supports the work. So if you want to do good, high-quality PBL, you have to create a school and classroom culture for it to be successful. And if you want students to have these socio-emotional learning outcomes that we endorse and everybody else endorses, you have to create the culture. So I think there needs to be more work done in that venue for us to maximize this sort of pedagogical window and policy window. You're listening to Bonnie Lathram interview David Ross, CEO of Partnership for 21st Century Learning in Washington, D.C. For more resources, head to gettingsmart.com. Obviously, you and I met over a shared interest in global education, so would love to hear a little bit more about what uh, P21 is doing to support 21st century skill development, and not just in the United States, but also and you, you mentioned um, China, I think, in the Philippines. But I think I'd love to hear about um, any conversations that are happening um, in in other countries as well, um, and and then also maybe you know touching on why this matters, not just to the people in the United States, but also globally. That's a really important topic for us. And so going back to that Global Ready Pledge I mentioned, there seems to be three drivers coming from this, and this is from the policy people from the business world, is this concept of national competitiveness. And if we are to remain nationally competitive in a viable democracy, is we have to produce graduates, learners, employees, and employers who have the four Cs, the socio-emotional learning skills, have to function effectively in a project-based learning world, have to be globally competent and globally aware. Well, we're not the only ones who have figured that out. There's also some discussion about this being a national survival skill for the United States in order for its national defense, national security, the, the ongoing success of the U.S. And the final piece, and I think it's crucially important in an election year, is this idea of neighborhoods. And by that, we mean this concept of the, the quality of civil discourse has disintegrated significantly over time, and I'm not blaming names. I think it's a national problem. So if we are going to improve the nature of discourse and make our neighborhoods better and make people more civil towards each other, we have to equip these kind, uh, these everybody with these kinds of skills. Well, we didn't figure that out. Everybody else figured that out as well. So. For decades, Singapore has been focused on this idea of creativity and innovation in its school system and has baked it into its standard curriculum and instruction. I've been working in South Korea with the government for almost two years now. They have a generalized interest in 21st century skills, but more importantly, they've narrowed it down to entrepreneurship. Everything is in service to entrepreneurial skills, and so we're trying to get them to see the, the idea that you have to change classroom culture, school culture, and actually the values of the culture at large to make sure that entrepreneurship is successful. In China, it's almost identical to the work that's occurring in um, Korea, this focus on creativity, innovation, and entrepreneurship. Uh, Disney built a new park in Shanghai that just opened. And one of the features of the park was the Ministry of Education's insistence that Disney assists them with educational programs that are going to enhance creativity and innovation and entrepreneurship. I work in the developing world in the Dominican Republic and in Costa Rica, and I heard the same discussion. So it's 
it's as though there's this unofficial global consensus is that these are the skills, the attitudes, the mindsets that people need to be successful. And it's almost as though there's a global consensus around the pedagogy. It's got to be project-based. Yeah, that's super fascinating. It goes back to sort of putting um, students in complex situations and having them problem-solve and then be adaptable to see a lot of um, overlap to what we're also talking about at Getting Smart. So you alluded to the fact that there's a lot of change happening around us. We're in the midst of, um, obviously, a contentious election cycle. Possibly by the time this podcast airs, it's October right now, but possibly the election might be over by the time this comes out. But we've definitely been in um, sort of some national um, tumultuous conversations. There's some turmoil across the planet. Of course, we're facing um, climate change and other other pretty large-scale problems. So there's a lot that could get us down. But um, Getting Smart, we, we write a lot about the innovations and in learning. So I'm just curious for you, what are you feeling really hopeful about? It's, I was just this past couple of days, this is the middle of October, and I was in Philadelphia at the Global Education Forum, which was a partnership of the Asia Society and Penn University. And there were about 500 people there from all of the United States and all over the world focused on global education. And in July this summer, I was at the U.S. Department of Education for a meeting, and the U.S. Department of Education is producing a global-ready toolkit for K-12 teachers. It will be released sometimes this fall. And what they did is they collected content, ideas, resources, lesson plans, activities, videos, books, articles from hundreds and hundreds of organizations and are going to create this free repository and portal for global-ready skills and documents and resources for teachers. And I was in a meeting in August with the State Department, and they were talking about this global ready idea. So it's it's as though there's this current that's wafting across the world right now that we all realize there are bad things happening and there are negative forces at play, but everybody who wants to push it forward is all seems to have come to a consensus that now is the time to do this particular work. So I'm exceptionally excited about the potential for global competence, global awareness, and I think it flows into this uh, discussion about uh, socio-emotional learning, and I think it flows into the possibilities that ESSA provides. I'm also excited about the work that you guys and the Buck Institute are doing around project-based learning. I've been involved with project-based learning in one form or another since the early 90s, and I don't think there's ever been a better time. The research supports it. The corporate sector is behind it. The policy is in place. And we're starting to understand how to do rigorous, relevant, and engaging PBL better than we ever have before. So I think these trends are all mutually reinforcing. And the final piece is I actually think the technology is in a better place. I think we're getting smarter about how to integrate technology in the classroom. It doesn't solve every problem if it's not supported by effective professional development. It's not going to be used effectively. But I think we really are in a golden moment right now. I love that so much. And now I'm feeling really inspired. So thank you. And I've got – I. Unlike you, I've got two kids that are entering school system soon. Um, I have a four-and-a-half-year-old and a two-year-old. So it's, it's interesting, too, because I taught for eight years in a project-based learning school. And when I think about what I want for my kids and the types of experiences I want for them to have in school, um, they involve doing these um, relevant and rigorous and meaningful project work. 
And so I love that you hear that you feel like it's, we're in the golden age. So thank you. Final question. Um, is there anything you want to add or what do you wish we had asked you about? You know, the only thing that we didn't talk about in getting smart is obviously deeply involved in this. There's a new report that came out today from the Pew Research Center. And what I found fascinating about it is that for the first time in my memory, people, uh, it was a survey of workers in the United States, both blue-collar manufacturing, white-collar jobs. And 54% of the people who surveyed said that lifelong learning is the key to success in college, career, and life. And I don't ever, I mean, businesses have been saying that forever. Teachers have been saying that forever. But to hear the workforce say this, and the second extraordinary piece of data that I found in that piece was this concept that 72% of the people surveyed said that it was mostly the responsibility of the individual to do this. And so they're not looking to the school system for complete reliance on developing these skills and mindsets and competence. And they're not looking to the businesses that employee. They employ them. They believe that it is their responsibility as a worker to become a lifelong learner. And that's extraordinary, which means there's an opportunity for the Ed tech sector is this, the concept of badging and stacks and micro credentials and micro diplomas is if the workers say, in order for me to be successful in life, career, and college, I have to be a learner forever. And the workers are saying, it's my responsibility primarily to become a lifelong learner. Tech has to step in to provide something that's effective, cost-effective, meaningful, because people want it, people need it, and they recognize the value of it. So, again, another extraordinary opportunity. Well, thank you so much, Dave. Uh, I feel like in this short time that we talked that I learned a ton, and not only that, that I now want to do a bunch of searching and reading about all of these amazing things you brought up for us. So thank you very much for being a guest on the Getting Smart podcast. Thank you so much, Bonnie. For more on the Partnership for 21st Century Learning, find them on Twitter and Facebook at P21Learning or on their website, www.p21.org. You can also find David Ross, the new CEO of P21, on Twitter at DavidPBLRoss. And to learn more about Getting Smart initiatives related to 21st Century Learning that were discussed on this podcast, head to Twitter and check out hashtag PBL and hashtag Project Based. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Megan, signing off.